0: So, you know, folks, we started a new series last Sunday in Second Peter. I told you when I introduced the series that this is one of my favorite—really, is has for years been one of my favorite passages of Scripture, Second Peter—and it's been really an awkward passage, though, to decide when to teach it. And I feel like that time is now, because the reality is, and we're titling this series "Faith in a Hostile World." And I'll be honest with you, I don't know if you realize it or not, but it is a hostile world. It's a hostile world to your faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm not talking about the political situation, although that could add to it. I'm not talking about the cultural situation, although that's maybe adding to it a little bit as well. But I'm just talking about that there are some things happening around you that are attacking your faith. And it's being evidenced. How? We see people's commitment levels dropping off. We see people diminished in their desire for the Lord. Do I go to church on Sunday? Do I not? Oh, I got something better to do today. You know, those are the things that are going on. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'm not talking down to you because I face those same things. I get up on Sunday morning and I'm like, well, what do I got to do today? What if I got something better? And then you're like, oh no, I'm the pastor. I have to be here. So we all are going through it, right? You find that you remember a time when you were like excited about Jesus in your life and you wanted to just be with God's people and learn and grow and serve. And then now it's like, oh, it's just another Sunday. Hope it's not too cold or too hot. This is the hostile world we live in. In fact, I told you last week, that our threats are not outside of the church, but our threats are in the church. And specifically, this letter is going to address three specific threats. Number one, our ignorance of what God has done for us in salvation. Number two, the influence of false teachers. And then number three, we see this in chapter three, a misunderstanding of God's return, of Christ's return. All of those affect us. And so we're going to launch into them. We're going to deal with that first threat, and ignorance... Of what salvation has done for you, and ignorance of what salvation has done for you. In fact, today you're going to see that. Well, let me just point it out this way. Oftentimes, when we think that when we come to Jesus, here's the here's the typical presentation. Do you want to go to hell? No. Pray this prayer. Come to Christ. That's just a shortened version. But the whole thing is, is that I've got the eternity thing worked out. I know that when I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus. But we don't tell anybody about living life now. How do I handle life now? How do I handle the stuff that's happening to me? Because some of you, you had some stuff happen to you this week. Some of you are like, well, I had a breather. Well, next week's coming. How do I handle this? How do I handle the the difficulties, the struggles? How do I handle the struggle of faith? How do I handle that? And we often think mistakenly that God only took care of the future. I'm supposed to live this on my own. Because the reality is, is that you were never taught that there was anything else added to salvation. That salvation isn't just later, it's also now. You experience salvation now. Why? Because he gave you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's job isn't just to convict you when you do wrong. He's got some other things he's supposed to do in your life, and we're going to see that in these verses. And what we're going to see is, is that he has empowered you for life. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? He's empowered you for life. What does that mean? Well, we're going to see what that means here in a moment. And we're going to start back with verse 2. We're going to look at three verses here. Let's look at these together. Verses 2 through 4. Starts off as a blessing, but he actually expands the blessing into an explanation. So he starts off verse 2. Look at what he says. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature." having escaped the corruption that is in the world. Wow, there's a lot in these verses. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at these verses because here's what I want you to understand. I don't want you to be threatened by ignorance. Part of the problem of why you may be diminished in your understanding and your desire for Christ is because you don't truly understand what he's done for you. And he just didn't save you for later on. Do you understand? He didn't just save you to get something later. He saved you for now. Eternal life began the moment you got saved. We're going to look again. We're going to start off with what we talked about last week from verse 2. is a starting point. Then we're going to see the provision. We're going to see that in verse 3. And then we're going to see the purpose. Why is he doing this? Okay. We're going to see that in verse 4. So let's look at this together, all right? Here it is, the starting point. It's the Lord's desire that grace and peace be multiplied in your life. Do you understand what I'm saying? I want you to grasp that. We oftentimes will, oh God, give me grace. Oh Lord, I need peace in my life. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I need you to grasp this point. God wants grace and peace to be multiplied in your life. He's wanting it to be experienced in your life. In fact, I told you that from Ephesians, the concept of grace is grace upon grace. It's kind of like being at the ocean. I love going to the ocean. I love the waves. Have you noticed the waves don't stop? They keep coming in. And that's the whole concept of grace. Grace upon grace. It never ends. God is continually showing you grace. And he wants you to have peace. When you say, I don't have peace right now. But peace comes, what we know from Philippians chapter 4. What? Be anxious for nothing but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And what? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. He's waiting to give you peace. You just got to talk to him. But that's the last person we talk to, right? Talk to everybody else but God. I do that. Reality? Hmm? So it's God's desire that grace and peace be multiplied to you. We looked at that last week. Here's the second thing I want you to see from verse 2. Grace and peace can only be experienced through the relationship with the Lord. Grace and peace can only be experienced... Through the relationship with the Lord. That grace that's multiplied it isn't just going to happen to you. You go on and do your own thing. Don't worry about Jesus. You want that grace and peace. You get it because you're in that relationship with him. And the knowledge here, it's talking about an experiential knowledge. It's you getting to know him personally. So that's the starting point. That's the starting for for all of us. In fact, you need to grasp that because that in itself is a freeing thing to you. And that's all because of Jesus and salvation. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 3. And look at what he says. Verse 3. As his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life And godliness. This is the provision. All right, so I want you to understand me. If your concept of salvation is simply going to be with Jesus in heaven later on, I'm just going to tell you right now, you are ignorant in your understanding of truth and of salvation. Jesus just didn't die so that you could be forgiven the wrong stuff you've done and to make sure you go to heaven later instead of going to hell. That is a pretty poor excuse to send anybody to the cross. I'm just going to be honest with you. Would you do that for anybody? None of us would do that for anybody. But he did it for so much more. It's for you to have life now. And that's what he's going to talk about here in verse 3. He gave you so much more. Now, what are the... I'm going to show you three things. Okay, three things. Number one, grace and peace is multiplied in your life because the Holy Spirit empowers you. Look at here. Look, I, I like some of the New Modern Translations drop this word. But the New King James is actually accurate in reflecting the Greek. He starts off with a little two-letter word, as. That's reflecting back on grace and peace is multiplied in your life as divine power has empowered you. And that divine power and that word divine is reflecting a God is the Holy Spirit. When you got saved, who entered into your life, folks? Holy Spirit entered into your life. And he didn't just enter into your life to make sure you get to heaven. He entered into your life to equip you, to give you what you need, and to make sure that the desire of God, which comes through the relationship with him, happens in your life. What's the desire of God? That you have grace and peace in your life. That it's multiplied. Here's what we're seeing. Grace and peace is multiplied in your life because the Holy Spirit empowers you. He empowers you. You say, I don't, I don't know that. I, don't, I didn't understand that. Well, yeah, you, so you don't know that. Kind of reminds me of a story. Heard this years ago in Africa. Remember I told you that when I was a young man studying in the university, I spent a summer in Africa, and the story was there about of a missionary who had a car that was given to him. And for some reason, it never had enough power to turn the engine over. But it was a stick shift. You know what you do when you have a stick shift. You you push it and then kick the clutch in and then let it start up, right? Well, what he would do is, is he developed a whole habit of always parking his car on hills so that he would just release the brake, pop it into gear, and it would start couple of years of doing that, a new missionary came and he was getting ready to go back home to visit his visiting churches. And he said, here, I'll let you use my vehicle, but I need to show you the procedure. You got to park on hills. And, and, you know, and he's going through this whole rigmarole with him about what he should be doing. Pop the clutch, it'll start up. And the guy lifts the hood up, wiggles around with a couple of things there, goes over, turns the key and it starts right up. The missionary who had been doing all this stuff, parking on hills, popping into the clouds, said, what did you do? Tightened the connection on the battery. It was your battery cable. Here's this guy, he's living this way, doing all this stuff, and he doesn't know that he had the power already. I find that to be true of a lot of Christians today. You're living life with all the stuff that's going on around you, And you're wondering how you're going to be able to do it because you have this concept that the Christian life is only supposed to be lived by you because that's what you heard or that's what you see emphasized even in church. And the reality is is there's a power that is within you that you don't even have a clue about because you've never been told. You don't even have an understanding. I'm telling you right now, folks, grace and peace is multiplied in your life because the Holy Spirit empowers you. You need to start living that way. The Holy Spirit lives within you, and he wants to empower you. Okay, well, George, what does that empowerment do? Well, that's the second point here. Look at what he says there, verse 3. As his divine power, look at what it says, has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Here's the second thing I want you to see. The Holy Spirit gives you everything you need for life and godliness. Can I say that again? The Holy Spirit gives everything you need for life and godliness. The Holy Spirit is going to give you everything. Wisdom, strength, grace. You need to live your life here. I want you to grasp this truth. First of all, let me ask you a question. Do you think God knows everything about your life? Does he know everything about your future? He's already there, right? He knows what you're going to face, right? He knows the trials that are coming your way. He knows the joys that are coming your way, right? He knows your struggles, your pains. He knows your excitements. He knows everything. Now, do you think when it says that his divine power has given us, that's our, that's referring to a pastime action, he's given us everything you need for life and godliness, do you think he had in mind your whole life? Yeah, that's the concept here, right? You are empowered to live this life no matter what you face. How can you say that from one verse, George? Because he talks about it in other places. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is a wonderful chapter because it talks about salvation. Again, talking about salvation. But then you come to verse 10. For we are his workmanship. All right, That word workmanship can also be translated masterpiece. You are his masterpiece. All right, isn't that exciting? Look in the mirror and say, I'm the Mona Lisa. I'm Michelangelo's David. No, I'm not. But I mean... You're a masterpiece, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Now notice that last phrase, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk into. You were saved for a purpose that God wants to accomplish in this world, and he prepared it way before you were even born And when it says that he empowered you, do you think he gave you what you needed to carry out what he wants to do through you? Do you think he did that? Yeah, you better believe it. Wow. Now do you see that salvation is more than just where am I going to be later on when I die? It's life right now. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's life right now. He wants to multiply grace and peace in your life and he's given you the Holy Spirit by which you can have that grace and peace because that Holy Spirit has empowered you with everything you need for life and godliness. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're going through it right now, some of you are going through it right now. You don't have to wonder, are you going to get me through this, Lord, He's going to get you through it. You don't have to wonder, are you going to give me what I need to get through it? You were already told you were going to have everything you need. So you just need to what? Rest in him. There's another interesting thing. You know, Philippians says, be anxious for nothing. Psalm 37, I told you, my favorite Psalm. The whole Bible is my favorite, okay? But Psalm 37 Do not fret, but rest, trust. That's what he's talking about there. That's what he's talking about. One more thing I want you to see here. One more thing. Empowerment can only be experienced through the relationship with the Lord. Look at that last part of verse 3. Look at what it says there. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his virtue and glory. All right, number one, here's the thing I want you to see. That word knowledge, same word, verse 3, that's used in verse 2. Same word. An experiential knowledge. Remember I told you that's the starting point, that grace and peace is multiplied through us because we have a relationship with Jesus? Now he's going on and saying, you've been empowered by the divine power, that is the Holy Spirit, who's giving you everything you need, and it comes through one thing. It comes through one thing only, folks. Your relationship with who, folks? Jesus. Jesus. Do you understand? Jesus. Jesus. So then that brings us to verse four. Why did he do that? Why did he do that? It comes down to the purpose of why he saved you. Folks, he didn't just save you so you could be oh, able No, no, that, that's a byproduct. Forgiveness is a byproduct. He saved you for a purpose. He gave you everything you need for in this life and in Godliness for a purpose. He's given you the Holy Spirit in your life to empower you for a purpose. He's multiplying grace and peace in your life for a purpose. What's that purpose? Verse 4. Look with me. Verse 4. I'll just read it to you again. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Three things I'm going to point out to you. Here's the purpose. Okay. Number one. Through the relationship with us Jesus has bestowed on us precious promises. The word there is more than just give. It's more than just give. It's actually reflecting on the preciousness of His act. What do you mean? Well, I mean, I could, you know, what I could, I could, you know, if I wanted to, I could say, here, here, Bruce, here's my mug. I give it to you. That's, I'm just giving him. But now he would be like, yeah, but it's got your tea in it, George, and you had your lips on it. I don't want that. Okay? That's not precious. Yeah, but if you're in England and you've been called to stand before the queen and, and she bestows a title on you, Sir Bruce, Knight of Dubois, She's honoring you with her gift, right? That's what bestow means. Same thing that's happening here. He has given us, he has bestowed on us precious promises. What kind of precious promises? Well, it's not just the promise of forgiveness, folks. It's the promise of a new relationship, a new hope, a new life, a new body. It's everything that is entailed and wrapped up in the whole issue of salvation he has bestowed on you a new purpose for life those are the precious promises do you understand remember what he said he, you know, about having an abundant life you can have it through him that's a precious promise he's bestowed those on you he has honored you with them through the relationship he's bestowed on us precious promises here's the second thing because you were given these promises, you're able to become like Jesus. See, that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal of what Christ wants to accomplish in your life, in this world, and in the next one, is so that you become like Jesus. You become like Jesus. Look at what he says there, verse 4. By which we have been given these exceedingly great and precious promises that through these referring back to the promises you may be partakers of the divine nature not saying that you're not going to become god but rather you're going to become like him in nature that you will ultimately become like jesus as you grow in your relationship with him you'll respond like jesus you'll see things like jesus do you understand that's what's going to happen now why does that take place Here's the third thing I want you to see from the verse as to the purpose. Here's the third thing. This is possible since you've escaped the corruption of this sinful world. Look what it says there, verse 4. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. All right, what does that mean? Well, all right, let's be honest. I said to you last week that we perceive that the greatest threats to my faith, to our Christianity, are outside of the church. So we think, well, it's the society, it's the way the culture is going, and it's this, and it's happening here, and, th- and, and, and we think that it's all of that stuff, and that stuff has an influence, but I'm going to be honest with you, it's not a threat to you. How can you say that, George? because you're saved? Well, yes, I know I'm going to heaven. No, 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 no. You, 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 again, are not completely comprehending salvation. When Christ entered into your life and saved you, here's what he did. He broke the power of sin in your life so that You now are no longer a slave to the culture, to the direction of the world, to Satan. You now have been set free. That's what redemption means, folks. When we talk about being redeemed by Christ, being redeemed by the blood, that means being bought from the slave markets of sin. You now have been able to escape the corruption of this world. And again, you're saying, okay, well, George, I see that here. Is that true in other places of the Bible? Yes. Let me give you a big passage, Romans chapter 6. Look with me, Romans chapter 6, verses 5 through 11. Listen to what the Apostle Paul, we're looking at what Peter says here. Look at what Paul says. For we have been united together in the likeness of his death. That's talking about coming to Christ by faith. You died to yourself. You were raised in newness of life. Certainly, we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer, look at what it says there, we should no longer be what? Slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For death, for the death that he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be a dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Alright. What's he saying here? I want you to hear me. This is is where a lot of people don't understand. But I want you to comprehend with me. He didn't just die to give you a blanket forgiveness card to apply to all of the stuff you do wrong. He didn't just die to give you a ticket to heaven. He died to break the power of sin in your life so that you don't need to use the forgiveness card do you understand what i'm saying so that you can say no to sin in your life because now because the holy spirit lives in you gives you everything you need for life and godliness he now gives you the ability to escape the corruption of this world and believe me folks the world's corrupt isn't it we don't need any we don't need to argue that point we just see it all the time But you have been able to escape that. Isn't that wonderful what Jesus has done for you? See, that's the greatest threat to you, is not even understanding that. Do you understand that now? Not comprehending what Jesus has done for you. Not comprehending what Jesus has done for you. You say, okay, George, what do we do with this? Well, Here's the first thing. I'm going to give you two thoughts, okay? Here's number one. Grasp that you cannot live this life alone as a believer. See, if you've been operating that way because you thought that salvation was simply, oh, I got the forgiveness thing and I got heaven later on, you've been living this life alone. And you've been living it alone with your failures. And you've been living it alone with your lack of desire for the Lord. Because why would you desire the Lord? Because he's just got something for you later on. Did you understand what I'm saying? There's nothing there. Oh, you hope he might answer a prayer. But I need you to grasp the reality. Did you want created to live this life alone? In fact, when you got saved, he didn't give you aloneness for your salvation he gave you somebody to be with you all the time who's that the holy spirit not just the holy spirit listen to me he gave you a community of other believers who have the holy spirit to what be there for you right now do you understand what i'm saying be there for you right now. Listen, that's why we say, you know, we have the t-shirts that say it's more than a worship service. Carlin'sville Christian Church is more than just coming on Sunday morning and worshiping together. It's what? It's the group of people who will be there throughout the week for you and you can call up and say, hey, you know what? I'm really struggling with this. Help talk me through this. And you can do that with each other. That's what church is. That's what church is supposed to be. See, that's what salvation is. I want you to grasp this truth. Grasp that you cannot live this life alone. You were never meant to live it alone. That's not what salvation is about. Quit living in that ignorance. Here's the second thing. Begin to recognize and live as one who has been given everything for this life. Begin to recognize and live as one who has been given everything for this life. I'm going to be honest with you. Most of us live our Christian lives like we don't have anything at all to live the life with. But I'm going to tell you right now, you need to drop that mindset. You need to adopt a mindset that God has given you everything you need to face the stuff you're facing, to overcome the challenges that you're overcoming, to endure the struggles that you're struggling with. You need to live like you have everything to face it. Because you have who? Jesus. Do you understand? That doesn't mean it isn't going to be painful. It doesn't mean you're not going to cry tears. It doesn't mean that the difficulties are going to vanish. I'm going to tell you right now, they're not going to vanish. But he gives you everything you need to get you through them because your ultimate goal is your what? Your hope later on with him. But you begin to recognize and live as one who has been given everything for this life. Wow. That's why we're going through this letter, folks. Is to help you and to help me to understand what Jesus has done for us. And I'm hoping that you'll take these two verses and really think on them this week. And that through the relationship, through your relationship with Jesus, you go to him and you ask him, Father, help me to grasp what you've done for me. Help me to see it in my life. Let me pray for you.